Greetings and welcome to Surf's Up, a Beach Boys podcast safari. My name is Mark Dillon, author of 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, and I am here today with my co-host, Phil Migliorati. Hello, Phil. Hello, Mark. And in a minute, hello, Howie. Great, uh, great stuff coming up here. Yeah, well, we're back because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, our man, Brian Wilson, just celebrated his 80th birthday and the Beach Boys are celebrating their 60th anniversary Although we all know that their first single, Surfing, actually came out in 1961, not 1962, but that's that's the way they want to do it. Uh, and one of the ways they are celebrating is with the recent release of an expanded reissue of the 30-track 2003 Greatest Hits collection, Sounds of Summer, The Very Best of the Beach Boys. The new edition adds 50 songs and includes 24 new stereo mixes. It was assembled by stalwarts Alan Boyd, who's in charge of the Beach Boys archive, and Mark Lynette, the engineer who remasters and remixes the Beach Boys catalog. It's available digitally in a three CD release and a six LP vinyl box set. And to help us unpack this new collection, we welcome back to the show Howie Edelson. Howie is a head writer, producer for United Stations Radio Networks, co-founded by Dick Clark, and writer-producer of the weekly nationally syndicated rock radio show, The Classics. He has conducted in-depth interviews with many rock legends and serves as a consultant to Brother Records and wrote the liner notes for this new release. Welcome back to the show, Howie. Good to be with you guys. And so you're coming to us uh, from home in New York today. So what are you up to? Obviously, you're out there promoting uh, the Beach Boys like crazy and doing stuff for The Who as well. Yeah, we, um, you know, I just did the uh, program for the the latest leg of the orchestral tour. And uh, that's going to be picking up again in October. And um, just working this, this Beach Boys comp. You know, it's a, a world away from when this thing was released in, in 2003 and you know, when you think about how it was comparable to the Beatles one, like that was the thing that people were comparing it to, you know, it's like the, the Beatles had it too, where things would, um, things would come out and not hit like, uh, remember 20 greatest hits by the, by the Beatles in 82. And they were capitalizing on Love Me Do being 20. And the album came out and it meant nothing. But then one comes out and it's, whoa. But you never know when something's going to hit. The same way Sounds of Summer was a blockbuster by comp terms. But, you know, the follow-ups weren't. You know, the only people that were paying attention were the uber fans for the stereo for the new stereo mixes so it's very strange how these things are going to fit in the marketplace are they go is there going to be a a, a a general public embracement of it are the diehards going to love it are they going to um hate it? it you never really know but you know the way that the business is these days is everything is driven by anniversaries especially for a vintage act um everything is an anniversary and this was coming up this was there the word came down that they needed a a 60th comp and my original idea because it's a think tank, you know, it's not just me, Boyd and Lynette saying, what should we do? It's 
the band, it's the label, it's brother, it's iconic, it's a bunch of people and at different levels along the way deciding what the market will bear, what's coming up. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a yeah. lot of chess being played that, you know, when I was a kid, I never knew. And there probably wasn't this game of chess as far as releases and stuff like that. Probably wasn't in, you know, 1984, you know, about, well, what's the third release from now going to be? So let's kind of temper what this is. Who knows? But when when the idea came up for um, for the comp, what I said was, I said, guys, let's take Endless Summer. Let's keep the artwork, keep the title, and just, you know, change the line, make it what, whatever it's going to be. But let's take that, um, that, that, you know, signature trademark that's so recognizable. I just had visions of posters and billboards of Endless Summer um, just because it's like a brand within a brand. And even though, amazingly, it's the only Beach Boys studio chart topper, it's the only album of theirs with studio tracks that went to number one, um, it's been a, a stepchild, an ugly stepchild, you know, in, in the history of the band, in a way. I mean, it brought them back to the top, but the progressiveness kind of, you know, you know, just kind of got wiped away by people loving this, the 60s tracks and everything, just how their the live show changed, etc. But I was just thinking, like, let's restore that to former glory. Let's make that, you know, that's, that's probably, besides Pet Sounds and Smile, it's their most, maybe their most iconic um, cover, besides the, the surfboard ones. Um and I just thought, let's do that. And then what happened was it comes down to the reality of, you know, the business. Well, the, it's iconic, uh, no pun intended, it's iconic. Uh, Sounds of Summer is an iconic compilation. It's in modern times. And if we use that title and we keep the first disc the same with the same mixes, you can add on as much as you want, and it will keep adding to the platinum status. So it'll go from 4.4 to 4.5, et cetera, et cetera, on that same release. Do, do you follow? So it was beneficial for the label and the Beach Boys to have, to have an album that potentially, you know, in another 20 years could, could get diamond status. They could have, they feasibly could have a 10 million selling album, um, depending on how things go. So that's why I didn't get my Endless Summer um, and why we all got expanded Sounds of Summer. It's interesting what you say. I mean, Sounds of Summer, like my daughter's 15 and I'm, I'm happy to say she's become quite a Beach Boys fan. And Sounds of Summer is where she's picking off a lot of the tracks that she likes to listen to. Whereas, you know, for an earlier generation, it would be Endless Summer. Um, you know, in comparing those two, Endless Summer is such a great 
compilation. And I know it's a favorite around this house. Like what I've done for our big road trips is I've taken all those tracks and then I've added on the other tracks from that era, 1962 to 1965. And the family can listen to it like, you know, ad nauseum. Um, And you got to give it to Endless Summer because Endless Summer just did not, it wasn't really following the charts. Like there are flop singles on it like they left out some big hits like do you want to dance 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 and it it really it really flows it's a beautiful collection where they chose stuff like let them run wild and girl don't tell me and and And, and i feel like those the inclusion of those songs girl don't tell me warmth of the sun girls on the beach um and and also with with spirit of america to a lesser extent but those made those songs part of the rock community that brought that out you know it it, by by elevating them where they belonged you know girl a lot of millions of people know girl don't tell me millions of people know warmth of the sun you know what i'm saying so I, i it served a huge purpose at the time i thought it's almost it's almost like instead of uh, a list of greatest hits, it's a list of really great songs. And there's a difference there, even though some of the hits are also greatest songs. Absolutely. But I mean, it's I mean, the only thing you can really fault Endless Summer with is the first version of Help Me Rhonda. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the only downside to it, you know, and that it didn't have a fifth side, you know. You know, and there, there's a whole history here of, of comps, you know, and Sounds of Summer ha- has supplanted them. I mean, of course, before Endless Summer, even there was Best of the Beach Boys volumes one to three. And it's it's volume two that made me a Beach Boys fan because that had Don't Worry Baby and then a suite of California Girls, Help Me Rhonda and I Get Around. Uh, and then, of course, Endless Summer. And as you mentioned, it's sequel Spirit of America, which I also really loved. Uh, and here's one people rarely talk about. Good Vibrations, Best of the Beach Boys, which came out in 1975 featuring material from Pet Sounds through Holland. That was a, mm-hmm. that charted at number 25. That was a hit release, you know, and uh, yeah. it, it introduced me to that whole era. So there's that one, 10 Years of Harmony, Made in the I USA. Love ten, 10 Years of Harmony, I always, you know, I made a mixtape using like all the, 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 the best versions of uh, Endless, uh, uh, Endless Summer, Spirit, sunshine dream (laughs) oh yeah and 10 years harmony all like a massive playlist and it's like you know it's it's righteous you know it you listen to that it makes you better it makes you better makes you a better parent makes you a better (laughs) spouse It, it makes you a better neighbor it's just it it is um it it is food for the soul it is vitamin c yeah, Ten Years of Harmony was was pretty significant. I mean, that was the first release of of songs like San Miguel and Sea Cruise. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, to a Beach Boy fan who knew that some things were happening, but back then we didn't get all this information. Didn't even if you had a bootleg or two, uh, you still nobody got everything. Uh, and when that uh, Ten Years of Harmony came out, and those songs were there. And, and Endless Harmony on there, it, it was like, we're getting new Beach Boy stuff. I mean, it really meant something, at least to me, someone who was around since, you know, 62, 63. 
where all you got was their current releases. This kind of let you get a sneak peek into the, or a sneak listen into the archives a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love it. I love it. I think it's, um, I think it's a beautiful release. You know, I, I wanted there to be elements of that in this one too. You know, when we were coming up with the track listing, I mean, the track listing was really uh, me, Boyd and Lynette going back and forth, back and forth. And two of us agreeing on something that not agreeing. And then, you know, it gets filtered up and up and, you know, Okay, I've got um, to interrupt you and ask you, forgive me. My favorite song, Little Girl I Once Knew, did not make the first album of this, a release of this, and it hasn't made the second one. Yeah. Uh, it's okay, Miss the First, but it got into this one, and I'm glad. But can can you tell us, tell me? I mean, Breakaway didn't make it. Breakaway didn't yeah, make it. Well, you're right. But what, you know? who, who should I go after that? Who, who, <laughs> not who, me. Okay. <laughs> hey man, two that I really wanted. Uh, one, I'll, I'll tell you, a, you know, a little. Um, one that I was fighting hard against was Pom Pom Playgirl. Thank oh, I'm, I'm so with you on that. Who's the big fan <laughs> of that one? Yeah, I, it's not me. It, it, on Made in California, there's like you know eight like session moments. Yeah. Like I was like like that's crazy. I mean, I always thought it was kind of a cute little filler track, but uh, they're trying to elevate yeah. it to classic st status here. Yeah, you I don't have to tell us who, but what what was the thinking? <laughs> um, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I, okay. It, it wasn't my thing. What I was pushing for. <laughs> okay. I was saying guys let's put satisfaction on instead of that from let's beach boys that. party from the from the from the expanded party from the right. um yeah i'll take um, whatever yeah i just thought that would be so great the same way how you know th there was stuff that popped up on spirit of america from party and it was like whoa where does this come you know i just thought that would be just such a, a delicious little nugget um, I yeah, very also cool. wanted the same way with 10 years of harmony, how it had river song. Mm. I wanted almost summer. I wanted almost mm. summer to finally have uh, it, it, you, you know what I'm saying? Like that yeah. was that that was the 78 beach boys hit, you know, it's written by Brian, Mike and Al, yes. you know, Brian's out there on, on, uh, American bands. And that was the song. That got me into the Beach Boys. Literally seeing that on American Bandstand, I was like, "Whoa, what that is this?" Is cool. That is cool. Yeah. Why? You know, why has that one never been like? You can't get that that track anywhere. No. And from what I can gather, um, I believe it's actually owned by Universal and always has been. I think it was MCA owned it. I think the soundtrack was on MCA. Someone would know better than me. I don't have the info in front of me, but I think the master is owned by universe. It could so easily happen just by someone saying, okay, that's literally all it would take. I think. Wow. But I mean, that's the, I mean, it should be on, um, I, I don't know. I heard it all the time in New York and they had a special CBS FM version. We heard it all the time. And then when you look at the numbers, you know, it's like it really it was really back in the day when you could have regional hits or songs were bigger in different parts of the country, despite what Billboard 
what the Hot 100 said. Right. Because that was that really felt like a top 15, top 10 hit for a few weeks. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, but it, it was the hit of 78. Of, it was the Beach Boys hit of 78. No. Yeah. Well, I guess that's something for us to look forward to. Hopefully it'll come at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting back to this comparison uh, for a sec between Endless Summer and uh, uh, Sounds of Summer, um, Robert Criscow, of course, the uh, so-called Dean of American Rock Critics, when he uh, reviewed Sounds of Summer, he docked it a few points because he said that it missed tracks like Wendy and Catch a Wave. Um, and of course, you know, this new edition has the opportunity to, to correct that with 50 additional cuts and they do include Wendy, but they don't include catch a wave, which I think is one of their, their best early deep cuts. So, I mean, just getting back to this topic of, of, of song choice uh, and, and I'd love to know how involved was the band in terms of, uh, in terms of what was chosen. I mean, you know, we have everyone's in love with you by Mike on this collection. So that leads me to believe that the band had some say in it. They did, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't like, hey, get my song. It wasn't like <laughs> that at all. Um, the perceived notion of Mike is very different from how he really is, you know, especially just dealing with, with releases and stuff. Very cool, very chill, very helpful. Very, very helpful. They all are. They're very... It's not hands-on, but it's like... Every step of the way, it's something gets created, whether it's artwork, whether it's liners, um, it goes to them. Wait and see. Phone calls, you know, I'll rework something. Um, Lynette will rework mixes. It, th there's never a time where it's um, um, where there's no reaction. It's either great, I love this, or can we change this or can I mix that? You know, there's, there's all different ways, but it's not there. Uh, you know, there was, someone was, was asking something where it was like, well, you know, they sold uh, the Beach Boys sold out. So they, they don't, they're, they're partners with iconic. This isn't the type of thing where, you know, someone sells everything to a company and they're just, you know, this isn't like Springsteen selling everything to, you know, Sony, all his masters and all it. This isn't it. This is a partnership. So the Beach Boys are very, very much a part of everything that gets done. And, you know, they're the bosses. They're they're the they're the head cheeses. I was so, really sorry. I, I just want to is this is this the first uh, release under that new deal with Iconic? No, Feel Flows, Feel Flows was. was, but Feel Flows had been done and in the can mm. and waiting, and then it happened. And then, you know, was able to blossom because of the structure of Iconic. You, you know what I'm saying? Like the Beach Boys for years were kind of left... Um, you know, to kind of defend themselves in the big bad world of rock. And not that that iconic is the heavy now, um, but it's structure. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a there's 
um, there's a rib cage, there's shoulders, there's a backbone, there's a form to it and timelines and stuff like that, where it's not just kind of band and record label and we'll work it out. Now there's kind of, you know, there's a bridge between the two bodies of land. You mentioned uh, satisfaction a second ago, so I have to digress for a quick second and ask, when are we going to get a proper release of Jumpin' Jack Flash? <laughs> it might be sooner than you think. Oh, fantastic. Because, you know, I think, although Mike seems to talk derisively about the Rolling Stones, I think he did a great version. I mean, I think I think they really rocked when they uh, closed their shows with that one in the 70s. Totally. It, it, and it's like, it's like building off Leon Russell's Bangladesh version because you have that Carl going, woo-woo. Yeah. It's so hot. They were such a great smoking band. And Ricky, I mean, Ricky was just a monster. You know, can you imagine seeing that? I mean, I, you did. You did see it. But, it, ah, God, I give my teeth to see that them in 72, 73, 74, 75, 76. Phil, did you see them in those years? Yeah, those were great shows. They were so very interesting to experience that from the early and mid 60s version of the Beach Boys, which was wonderful in its own way. But this was uh, not sure what word to use, but it was like go, 60s was AM and early 70s was FM. It was just uh, a different vibe. Uh, one of the concerts that I dragged my sweet wife to when she was uh, probably eight months pregnant it was in a Chicago opera house. I think it was. And Somehow we got tickets on almost the highest row in the whole uh, building. And uh, there was just a wafing of smoke throughout the <laughs> auditorium. Oh, boy. And uh, we weren't uh, marijuana smokers, but that night we were. It was. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the the they just they just pulled the plugs out and it was amazing. Yeah. My, my first show was 79 Montreal Forum. And uh, I was 10 years old and, and my uh, my mother was reluctant for me to go because of all the marijuana smoke. And, <laughs> and there was marijuana smoke. My cousin took me because she she got me into the Beach Boys. And uh, in, in my memory, I always thought, gee, at least I got to see Dennis one time. But then I, I look it up and Dennis wasn't there. This is when he was like uh, <laughs> banned from the band for, for a yeah. while. And Bobby Figueroa played that night, I believe. So very sadly, I have to say, I never saw Dennis play. Have you, have you guys ever heard the um, uh, it's, it's half of the, the Nassau 79 show, May 79 Nassau Coliseum. And then it's it's been booted with the the second half mono soundboard of um, of Maryland. Have you guys heard that? I think I've heard that show. It's 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 sure. makes the rounds. It's phenomenal just to hear, you know, Dennis 79 like. You know, playing essentially New York City, you know, the is the tri-state area and just, you know, he's he's lit. You can hear it, you know, but man, just the command and the power. And it, it's it, it's so strange. There's a great uh, uh, Philly Spectrum soundboard from 80 and it would have been so much better with Dennis, with that wild card, with that, you know, that nervous energy um, and you just see it slip a little, not that Bobby wasn't great and not that Kowalski wasn't good too, 
but it was just that that edge that kind of um and and nothing to do with um you know being loaded or not but just that kind of you know that guy that can't sit still just that thing that he added to them and it's so strange because he's not really that in the studio in the studio he was meticulous about um about how things were recorded maybe not so much about how things were mixed but he like he he was able to um subsume himself in the process of recording and it, it was almost like a um like a, a salve for him it was like it could calm him down and he could but on the stage it was a whole other thing just a night and day figure a yin and yang dude Hey, Dennis did the drums on Don't Worry Baby, which we didn't even know until a few years ago. Yeah. And the organ on Good Vibrations. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, when you're saying all this, I'm thinking, you know, everybody sees rightly so. Mike is the performer of the group and he gets to prance around and, you know, jump and jack flash and all. But uh, even from the, the, the drum kit stool, uh, Dennis performed as well. And I think that's what you're alluding to, Howie. Um, you know, he didn't have to run across stage naked, although I guess he did that once, but <laughs> yeah. he didn't have to more do than that. once. <laughs> he didn't yeah. have to do that to uh, to perform and to uh, raise the energy level. Um, and then he could bring it down to something so uh, I don't want to overstate it, but you know, so dramatic and powerful when he would just uh, be in the spotlight stage front and sing uh, you are so beautiful and uh, that was such, it was almost a, like, where did this come from? But it was still Dennis Wilson. It was uh, amazing to hear him do that. Well, I'll tell you, just to give a hint on for the next box set, I can't go into crazy details, but there's stuff, there's more Dennis stuff. And um, I don't, I don't understand how a band that was signed to Warner Brothers wasn't how Warner Brothers didn't recognize what Dennis had and was tapping him for solo releases throughout the first yeah. half of the 70s. I'm amazed at it. I mean, it's it's almost like where was their A and R? Like, how do you not how do you have this on your label and not um it's an ugly word, but exploit it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that that Dennis, I mean, especially from the feel flow stuff, the 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 poops, hubba hubba stuff and the stuff that's going to be on the next one. I mean, we're taught and especially with how he looked at the time and his voice was as good as it ever was. The peak of Dennis's voice was was, you know, 72, 73, uh, 71, 72, 73. Um he would have been like a Jeff Buckley. It would have been something where it's like, whoa, this is too good to be true. To have someone that looks like that and sounds like that and is completely unique. And it's it's um, it's singer songwriter, but it's so beyond. There's a real um, religious thing. And I'm not talking judeo-christian i'm not talking hindu i'm not i'm talking like a righteousness about this like the the core thing that this guy was tapping into um was um what was something that 
we need now, you know, we needed it then for sure, but that it's getting out now and finding its way into new musicians ears into just people that need it. You know, I, uh, I think that's the, the thing I'm most proud of being um, involved with them is, is helping in some small way, liberate this stuff. Oh, that's, that's a good word. There. Yeah. yeah that, that really is what's happening. Uh, wouldn't it be nice to live again on this particular celebration it's a compilation i know but it's really a celebration and i think it succeeds at that but for this that song to be on this uh album if you will and here sounding the way it does now to me uh, um i, I was I, i'll be uh, you know you guys will throw something at me but i was always cool to the song hey it's dennis it's you know that's just nice i'd, I'd listen to it Listening to it, uh, you know, using Spotify and the, the promotional copy and stuff, and listening to it at those times, it was like, oh, I'm exaggerating. It was like, I've never heard this song before. Certainly not that way. And I think Dennis produced, maybe you know a whole lot more than, you know, we've ever even heard on bootlegs. Um, what he produced does that. It, uh, I think we had hints of it with uh, uh, Little Bird and Be Still. But yeah. here he's ex expanding his palate, if you will. Well, it feels like there aren't guardrails. You know, like Brian was able to break all of these boundaries. But at times it felt like he's still draw. He's still on a track. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it just feels like, OK, well, Brian knows theory. And so things are going to make sense whether or not your ear is kind of hip enough to understand it. It does make sense. I think that Dennis was like a, like a righteous savant mm -hmm. where he put his hands on the piano and that's, um, you know, it, it just went from there. He, it was almost like he was a vessel. I think it's true of Brian too, but I think Brian understood for me to get from A to F, I need to hit certain points musically to do that. I think he had a musical, anal uh, an analytical musical mind, whereas I don't think Dennis did. I think it was just all from the gut. Uh, yeah, yeah from the gut from the from the bowls from the heart the head i mean all the points i think it was just um i don't think this stuff was labored over i think if he was at a keyboard stuff was always coming out how when i hear you say this i'm thinking uh when brian developed uh, beach boys today uh, getting towards uh, pet sounds, but you know they came home, they heard pet sounds, and they said, "Hey, what what is this?" Of course, it's smile. It was even worse, if you will. Um, and I wonder if that's what Dennis's music was. It truly is Beach Boys music. Uh, I, wouldn't it be nice to live again? I think is a perfect example of that. It it could have been a hit for them, and it was it was supposed to be on one of the albums. But uh, I wonder if this that same resistance. It, it was this isn't how Brian would have written this song or this isn't how Brian would do background vocals. I, I don't know. I'm not a musicologist other than to say 
uh, I'm glad we get to listen to this stuff now. And the way that you guys are putting the context together, it allows us to see how it really does fit, even though back in the day it was ignored. Yeah. You were mentioning, uh, Howie, about the impact that Dennis's music is making today. How about uh, Johnny Depp during his big publicized trial going over to the Royal Albert Hall, doing a show with Jeff Beck and doing the Dennis Wilson song Time on stage? Right. I mean, I just I I just get emotional, you know, knowing that Dennis music is being played at the Royal Albert Hall, you know, and it's not the first time. I guess the first time was forever during C50 when they performed it there. Um, but I don't know. I just I, I, I have a feeling that Dennis's catalog and the Beach Boys post 66 catalog um will find a new audience but i think the new audience will be maybe through bands uh i really think it'll be in cinema i really mm. think that this stuff is going to be it, it's such an untapped resource i imagine iconic must really be pushing in that direction i'm not involved in in that in that side of it um but I talk about it a lot, you know, like I'm not, I'm not contacting um, music supervisors or anything, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's really the only way to go. It's the only way, you know, it's like, you can't, there's no more land. We got to build up. That's kind of what movies are movies and TV, you know? Mm. Well, and look what happened with the Kate Bush song, Running Up That Hill. I mean, now you realize you could take a song from 1985, use it appropriately in a TV show, and then it'll be number one on the charts again. I think that's the future. You know, I did an interview with someone and they were asking, you know, what's the future of music? And I was like, deep catalog and your friends. You know, that's what you're going to be listening to. You're going to be listening to your friends' music and deep catalog. Um, and just to add to the Johnny Depp, Jeff Beck thing, they're doing an album and they're going to be recording two Pet Sound songs on that album. Don't talk, put your head on my shoulder and Caroline. No, I believe so. Uh, wow. The music keeps proving that it's eternal. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, you know, when you look at the, the planning for this, uh, this new set, I mean, there's two ways of going about it. You either make a straight greatest hits package for mild fans who need a greatest hits package or you're preparing a lot of like new mixes for hardcore fans and completists, or you're meeting it somewhere in the middle. Like I could just see everybody being torn in a lot of different directions, uh, mapping this out. I, I've gotten all kinds of, um, you know, the message, some of the message boards are just, you know, disgusting. Um, but, you know, industry people are flipping over this. Um, musicians are flipping over this. I think the, 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 the main thing was we can't just give the same old, same old um, mono. Let's try to do these extraction mixes. Lynette's been working with that, um, with that dude from Ireland over, you know, butterflying the, the mono mixes and turning them into some type of malleable um, track where you can give it some type of placement in a stereo picture. It never really sounds just like stereo because it's, it's not, but it's, 
it's better than colorization. Is it Do better you know than duophonic? Yeah, and yeah, it's better than duophonic. <laughs> I mean, how many times would you listen to it? I had gotten Endless Summer on cassette and it sounded horrible. Um, but I mean, it, it's a testament to the music that I didn't care. And I also didn't ever think that it would ever be remixed or that the bass and the bass drum would be centered. It's like when you heard those, you know, horrible, you know, um, Beatles mixes where it's like there's a tambourine and a, a vocal on one, uh, one speaker and that's it. And some people are always like, you don't change it. You can't change it. It's sacrilege. And I don't know. I like things to sound good. I like things to um, be fixed. Um, if it's if if you think it's incorrect, like I listen to Taxman, I'm just like, ugh. why can't I hear it full span? Why can't that be um, fixed? And there are people that are just, you know, they have such hard ons about mixes and this is wet. And, and it, you know, it's like it's a mix. And you know what? There are 19 other mixes of Don't Worry Baby out there. You can pick which one you love. I'm sure there will be in the generations to come different mixes of I Get Around. Like, just pick the one you, you love. It's, um, it's a weird thing. You know, with Feel Flows and with Sunshine Tomorrow, um, you're trying, you're, you're, it's a narrower audience. So you can pinpoint more succinctly as far as the, the end result of what it's going to sound like, what it's going to contain, the information in the booklet, all this. When you're dealing with something that is really serving as an introduction um, to children and, and also something for people that are 80 to, you know, reminisce by, um, you run the risk of pleasing everybody and nobody at the same time. But, you know, it, as far as life's risks, this is an easy one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, d deciding whether or not to, you know, have money for rent or food. That's a tough one. You know, picking which version of it's OK is going to go on a record. That's an easy one. You know, <laughs> well said. I, I just hope that fans like young fans coming into it are, are aware of what they're listening to. Like, oh, if they want to hear like Marcella, they've heard, oh, I hear this is supposed to be a good Beach Boy song. And they listen to this mix. I just hope they realize that this is like, you know, this mix is being done to pull out certain parts that fans hadn't heard before. It's not it's not what I would call definitive. And I'll give you another example. Like I keep telling my kids, like when we're driving around around Christmas time and trying to put on some Christmas music, I say, oh, one of the best ones is Merry Christmas, uh, Merry Xmas, War is Over by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. And so my daughter pulls it up on whatever, like Apple Music. And for some reason, there's a version that strips out the uh, the children's choir, which to me adds yeah. so much of the power of the song. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, no, you don't listen to this one. This is not the one, you know, you got to listen to yeah. the to the real one, you know. So it's just uh, it, it might be confusing to, to younger people in the marketplace. I, I just, you know, the Marcelo one, I got to be honest, when uh, when Lynette first sent me that, um, 
there were, I was all last summer. He was working on them um, on, on the remixes and we were going back and forth. And um, I, I, the, the one that I love, I love that um, baby blue. I think baby mm, yes. blue just is just gorgeous. Um, but the Marcella, I mean, it's jarring. It's, it's different. And I was like, I, I was to myself, I was like, I don't dig this. I don't dig this. And then I kind of put myself in the mindset of, well, what if this popped up on a bootleg? What if this was on a bootleg? Would I be saying, I don't like this? I mean, I have, you know, four different CDs with Marcella on it. Would I be saying, I don't like this? And I wouldn't. I'd be saying, whoa, listen to that guitar. Whoa, I'd never heard that. Whoa, it, it, are those horns? What You know, I would. that's how I would react to it. That's how I changed my mind on it. It's not replace. Nothing is replacing anything. This is a sampler. And, you know, some of these, you know, where it's um, the Marcella or uh, Let Us Go On This Way, um, it's just done for the uber fans just to be like hey this is what else is there it's not like you know lynette saying i'm i'm gonna make it i'm gonna top their original mix it's just a way to say to the diehards look what else is here there's a lot there and that's how i've responded to uh, most of these new mixes it's like oh uh, i always knew there was a sound that it, it sound there but i wasn't able to dissect it this dissects it for me uh maybe my ears are i've listened to too many beach boy songs on volume nine and ten and you know they're they're burned out or something but it, this has been real helpful to hear that it like you say it hasn't replaced using marcella as the example hasn't replaced that but there's a freshness to it uh it kind of uh, I always felt there was kind of a, fa a purple haze to it. I don't know if that's yeah. be uh, because of hearing it in a purple haze uh, auditorium. I'm not sure. But this kind of got rid of the purple haze. And I'm like, there's a an amazing, and I won't say song. The song's amazing no matter what version you get it in. But there's an amazing orchestration soundscape going on here that I was not able to dissect and grab all those parts. These mixes are helping me do that. I, the way I've always thought of it, me personally, is they didn't have Desper anymore. So Carl was brilliant, but, you know, the, the, the majesty of, you know, say 2022 Surf's Up is were those two guys in tandem. You know, Desper mm -hmm. was their Jeff Emmerich. And, and probably was more important to the Beach Boys than Jeff Emmerich was because um, McCartney was doing, you know what I'm saying? It was McCartney. Yeah. Um, but Desper was a guy with vision and he was a guy that understood sonically how to get to A to C to D to F. How do I get that? And Moffat wasn't that. With, you know, Moffat Moffat was fine, but um, I think that the seventy two seventy three albums um, the, are missing Desper, are missing that um, 
that majesty, that excellence. Clarity. Um, the clarity. It, it really is a clarity. I mean, Marcella, um, I love it, but I always was like, why doesn't it rock out more? Like that live version is just such kick-ass, just electric. It gets you. And like that was the single. I remember Pete Fornatel playing Marcella and loving it. But I remember being really young and hearing it and wondering why it wasn't more. Why it was only... Um, I remember I went to a show at, at the Garden, another band who shall remain, remain nameless, uh, nameless. And everybody was so happy and digging this show. And I'm telling you guys, this show never got beyond 72%. They just never, it was never that point where you forget about life. You forget about, you know, getting home, the parking lot. You know what I'm saying? You never, <laughs> yes. lose, your, you never lose yourself. And so I remember that whole show. It's like weird. It's like, you know, when you're reading a book and you're like, all of a sudden you're 40 pages in. And it's like, well, I, I, I've just been so in it. And then there are other times where you open up a book and you, you see yourself reading and it's like, it's not working. It's not happening. And that's how I always felt with Marcella. Like, why isn't it taking, taking off? Why isn't it? supersonic and whether or not this is the version that does that um i think it shows how much balls is in that track you know so would that be a time i'm thinking that these few years you're talking about is a time when marcella you need a mess of help maybe some other songs were actually better live than in the recorded release it depends on the night you know, it depends on the night and it depends on, I mean, you tell me, you know, <laughs> I was born in 71. You tell me, yeah. was it better? I mean, I, I think some of their records were underproduced in those days. The songs were there, uh, but look at Wild Honey. All that stuff sounds better live. Like, aren't you glad live kicks ass? Yeah. Let yeah. the wind blow live kicks ass, yeah. you know, like yeah. I love that record. But still, I mean, th that stuff sounded better live. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a blueprint for a live set, you know, all of that, all of that, even that, um, um, whatchamacallit, um, how she boogalooed it was great live. From I love that, that you know, <laughs> Yes. It's, it's all great. They're all great. And, you know, people, people that are hung up on the mixes, it's like, um, it's like, it, it's a fucking record guys, you know, enjoy it or don't yeah you i mean you, you have the original so there's that so I, you... I don't understand it it's like you know now we're gonna change the name of your street forever yeah it's not like that <laughs> it's you know either enjoy it or don't um yeah i, I mean what do you think about the now how do you guys feel about it well I, just to give you my opinion what you know I think, like you said earlier, when you first hear it, it's jarring because it's different. Like if you've heard a song a thousand times and now you're hearing it differently, it's hard to embrace it right away. It takes time. I find the more I listen to it, the more I get into it. I might not necessarily love every mix, but also I think you have to listen to it in different ways. Like usually I'm at my computer, so I got my speaker set up here and this is how I'm listening to music. But then like I try it with headphones and then I tried it in the car and 
in the car, it sounds really good. Like, do you want to dance? For example, um, hearing yeah. that in stereo, like that's a big song with like an orchestral rock and roll thing going on. And, yeah. uh, it sounds great in the car. And I, I think that the car might be the ultimate venue for a lot of beach boys music. And in particular, a lot of these mixes. Well, that would be full circle, wouldn't it? Cause Brian would not do stereo just because for, well, many reasons yeah. probably, but the whole idea, what does it sound like in the car on a transistor radio? You know, those, the original boom box that you could hold in your, the palm of your hand. Um, for me, and I'm going to, you know, I'm 73 and all my examples are of old men stuff, but this is like uh, opening my eyes after cataract surgery. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't black and white before, but my goodness, I didn't realize this is what Technicolor could look like. To me, that's the difference in hearing these uh, new mixes. It's like, um, Technicolor in, in the ears, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I like them. You know, I'm happy with it. Well, and also, may- it, it also is telling me the, how great the songs are, um, regardless, frankly, of the mix, uh, how, how great these guys are vocally. Some of the separation on the vocals, I'm like, okay, I guess I heard that, but now I'm, it's like I'm standing next to Bruce and hearing him sing this. It's crazy. Uh, and then, of course, the instrumentation, um, I mean, ever since Stack of Tracks, when that blew my mind, because I'd never heard the background, uh, the mm-hmm. instrumentation, you know, it was that was like an epiphany. Uh, these continue to do that in even uh, greater ways. So I, I continue to extol these things, uh, but uh, I'm enjoying them a lot. Yeah, good, good. It, it seems to me that what is going on with a lot of these remixes is they're, they're raising the bottom. They're pumping up the bass. Uh, sometimes it's a little jarring, like Surfer Girl, for example, is a very delicate song. And all of a sudden, like the bass is like really strong and really pronounced. But as I said, I think maybe it plays better in, in the car. And I'm kind of wondering where where this directive comes from. Like, does it come from from Mark himself or, or Mark and who he talks to? I, and I just want to say that at the time that Feel Flows came out, the box set, uh, I read a quote from Al Jardine where he lamented the lack of reverb on some of the tracks, particularly ones that were recorded in Brian's home studio. So I'm wondering if that was one of the directives the producers might have gotten from the band, more reverb. No, the mixes all start with Lynette. Um... And Lynette doesn't stop. You know, Lynette sends stuff constantly, constantly, where you're you're fighting to keep up to listen. <laughs> um, and so he's constantly tweaking and, you know, he's also doing the Atmos and stuff like that. So it's really his oral vision. And then Boyd steps in there. And, and don't forget, all of this stuff is done you know, Lynette and Boyd haven't been in the same room together pretty much for two years. So it's a, a, a slightly different process than um, feel flows or even, you know, smile and the way they usually work. You know, they do work together a lot with the mixes. Um, and then I chime in, at, you know, there are times where I hate stuff. Um, or, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a dick about it. It's not like I hate this, but, um, with, with, um, baby blue, I really, um, I I gotta just say, you know, Mark had done, uh, a really great mix of a 15 big ones era song. And 
you just hear so much. There's so much on these records that that we don't hear. You you know what I'm saying? Like when you hear a multi-tracker, you hear the stuff where it's a faders up kind of thing. It's like there's so these records are so much bigger. They're so much wider. There are background parts that weren't incorporated into the into the final product. There are guitar parts. There's there's just there's so much more on some of them, not all of them. But You're talking 15 them, big ones uh, now? I'm talking about across the board. Across I mean, the board, especially, okay. But especially that year or two. Um, you know, with, with Marcella, that's... Marcella literally could have been mixed seven different ways. You, you, The way that this band recorded, sometimes I'll be like, you know, to Boyd, I'll be like, hey, can you like, you know, for instance, I was like, is there any way to make um, uh, Rock and Roll of the Rescue sound analog? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I was like, yes. just yes. break it down to the bass piano. If there whatever the most analog sounding keyboard there is, is there any way to to, to peel back? the the um the um the 80s the the, the untimelessness of it <laughs> strip strip um, it naked and you know there's certain things well i'll ask him and Boyle will just be like there's really not much there mm. like it is what it is you know and but there are other times where it's just this cornucopia of sound um and that's where i think lynette really um does well really the chuck brits era you, you the wrecking crew era he's able i think that's really his forte you know 64 to 67 the smile you know basically you know today to to smile where he's able to very um uh consciously make sense of taking that mono room and widening it so that you're walking through the painting that's really where he excels it's very nice for us to finally have a stereo mix of do you like worms which of course begs the question one day will we get a stereo mix of smile in its entirety we also have good vibrations now yeah i mean i um I was walking the other day and I was listening to this and the, uh, the wind chimes came on. Uh, and that's never been my favorite version of wind chimes. I've always dug the smiley smile and it was, I was walking to get the kids and it was this perfect June day. And for people that live, you know, in the Northeast, you know, there are some years where you don't get spring. It goes from April to August. And uh, it was just the way I was feeling, the, the sunshine, uh, and just that middle part where it's just the, the bombast of the horns and the harmonies. And smile for me is not spring or summer music it's fall music for me it's winter music it's 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 turtleneck music for me and to hear that burst of smile in my ears on on headphones not earbuds but headphones walking 
it was literally Eden. Hmm. There, there's no way to describe it better than Eden. It was all the stars of your life, you know, aligning and feeling it. And you just get that, you know, that thing that the Beach Boys do where it's it's a righteous thing where it's like, I'm here, I'm alive, things are good. And they just got a little bit better. And, I have to say, um, I love that version of wind chimes. It's like a mini symphony to oh, just yeah. some, some little thing that hangs on your front porch. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, it just got me and you know, it's um, that was the point when I was really like all the naysayers and all the ugliness, like just uh, go, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was just like, if this is making me feel this way, that's all that matters. You know, hopefully someone else will too, you know. California feeling did that for me uh, in this listen. I've always listened to it, but I kind of felt it was a, I don't, I don't want to sound negative. I'm not looking for a negative word, but it kind of plotted along or me meandered or something. But this time it just felt, there was a vibrancy there. It's like it went from uh, partly uh, overcast to, to uh, totally sunny. Um, I don't know. If it, I think it was the mix that did it for me. Uh, and that a- song is Boyd's baby. Yeah. A boy just would never give up on that. Always loved it. And took, I mean, we had that bootleg for years and it was a good track and it was a good song. Yeah. Um, and he just always loved it and believed in it and made it a record. You know, it wasn't a record. It was a track. Um, I don't know if it would have stood out on light album, you know, I don't know if it would have, um, but he's really just tended to that thing, like a plant on the windowsill. <laughs> and um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's beautiful and it's, it's, it's beautiful watching Boyd when Boyd's inspired, you know, because there is so much that Boyd takes on. Boyd is the heart and soul of this whole thing. If Boyd goes away, I don't know what happens, but he's, he's, you know, he's got the, he's just a compass on so many levels, but he also does so much shit, so much. Um, so that when Boyd kind of gets back to, you know, being a music guy, it, it's it's inspiring. It reminds you why you're doing w- what you do. So if I have a prayer list for the Beach Boys, Alan Boyd should be on top. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Good to yes. know. Yeah. We mentioned uh, wind chimes. Another song that I'm so happy made it onto this collection is Farmer's Daughter. I mean, here's a song that I think was a big song for them, you know, after their first couple of albums, and then just got totally like sort of forgotten because of all the hits that came after it. But what, what a charming little song, even to this day. I remember when we were first going over um, secondary songs, you know, not not hits. And I threw out Farmer's Daughter and Lynette was like, absolutely, absolutely. Because Lynette loves it too. And I was just psyched that that was, um, that that got on there. I always thought it was 
just a, a great track. I, I always thought it was great. I never understood why they never resurrected it ever again. There was just too much other stuff to choose. Yeah, yeah. And don't back down. I mean, don't back down. Oh, yeah. They have so many great album tracks that any other band would have had a top 10 hit with, you know? I think we have to give a little bit more uh, attention to good vibrations because, I mean, it's no small deal that we finally have a stereo version of this out. It's interesting, though, because, you know, I remember back in the um, Napster days when I was like getting bootlegs from Beach Boy stuff and th there was a, a stereo good vibrations floating around. And I thought it sounded great. But in the interviews, I think uh, Mark and Alan said, well, we can't do it like the, the you know, it's just technically not possible based on what we have, although there was yeah. something floating around. Well, anyway, I know the technology's improved so somewhat. And I, I think that stereo, I mean, there's a song that deserves a stereo mix. And I think it's, it's very good in this new version. Yeah, and I'll tell you something. There are amazing um, fan mixes of good vibrations, amazing fan mixes of um, little girl. I once knew, and also amazing fan mixes of do it again, you know, uh, so th there's enough there to, 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 to scratch that itch to get that. But this good vibrations, I mean, this is the butterflying technique. These are the missing, <coughs> excuse me. This is being able to take those tracks that are missing, that were, that were chucked, that precluded from, uh, ever becoming true stereo it's only through this irish guy who's who's created this app this this program that splits these mono signals um that allows it to happen you know um the saddest thing though is you know it's finally stereo and brian still can't hear it you know yeah that, that, that's all i thought of well it's like okay well we have as close to the definitive stereo as you're going to get um, for, well, you know, until the next decade. Um, and he's still not going to hear it, you know? That's something that we forget. And I have to admit, once I was interviewing Brian and I was not on top of my shit, and I, we were talking about the new Beatles release. What was it? The mono stereo? Yeah. that came out and and i i was just like making conversation with brian i said oh which do you prefer and he told me like very you know very straight faced he was like oh well you know i, I can't really hear very well out of one ear so i go with the mono like i'm like shit of course i knew that why would i ask him such a stupid question <laughs> but isn't that just shows you what a sweetheart what a doll that guy is Absolutely. you know uh. okay howie um you've you've teased us earlier with upcoming stuff. You talked about Dennis material. Nothing gets me more excited than that. You talked about live material. I mean, we're not stupid. We could do the math here. It's been 50 years since, uh, since uh, Carl and the passion is so tough. Holland's anniversary is coming up the live stuff, uh, the 1973 live album. So can you tell us a little bit about what we have to look forward to? I think the thing to, uh, I, I hate doing this because I would love to uh, <laughs> like, I hate being this guy. I hate this is the, you know, all that time when feel flows was sitting on ice and be, I hated that. I hate being the, the, the um, <laughs> I think, you're, I think you're going to be as far as the studio stuff. I think it's really interesting to see Brian Wilson, um, making music um between 
the, the Carl and the Passions Brian stuff uh, is is just fascinating to me because there's no kind of sense of completion. Like there's one track where it's cooking and it's real and it's like it's not finished and you know that three years earlier he would have gotten it down or four years earlier and you get the feeling like oh my god there was a melody that went to this that is lost forever because if you play it for him now i mean half of us don't remember two years ago but to say 50 years later, do you remember what the top line for this was? What was the melody to this? And he's going to say, I, I don't know. And so what's interesting about it, and what's also interesting about what I was saying about the, 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 the Friends era uh, backing tracks is <clears throat> the strength of his music, when you don't have a melody, when you don't have a top line, then... The specific notes on the piano that he plays, the bass line, things take more importance in your ear. So the song becomes a completely different thing than it was intended to be because that a strident riff becomes so much more important than it would have been without the vocal on top. It would have been buried. You probably wouldn't even have heard it. So it's a weird thing to hear his stuff and be like, well, you can look at it and say what might've been, but this is what it is. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. was you know, when you see a mountain and it's been eroded by years of wind, what's the mountain, what it originally was or what you're left with. <laughs> it's kind of like that with, with this stuff. I mean, that's that's my thought on it. Well, that's I mean, part of the, what's amazing about this this music. Everybody has their favorite music group or artist, and you know uh, that's great. We like a lot of great people who sing well and play well. But there's something you can take this stuff apart. It, it, here's some vocals. So just listen to those, and it's it's a phenomenal mood. Here, here's here's a couple of uh, you know here here's the band doing the instrument. You can just it's like a jigsaw puzzle and every piece is beautiful mm -hmm. even when they're even when they're separated and and those 67 shows where they're doing california girls and and wouldn't it be nice and they're playing it you know fenders into a fender amp no pedals <laughs> all they have is reverb and treble and they're playing they're reinventing it they're devolving it you know like mm -hmm. late in hawaii you know, you know, stuff like that. I mean, yeah. I love that, too. You know, I love hearing, um, you know, them doing surfing in, uh, you know, in Hawaii. 60. There's just something these songs are able to. Um, it's, a, it's a real American thing. It's a real folk thing mm -hmm. that you can do it with a symphony in the studio, a mini symphony, or you can do it with a guitar, bass and organ. And it works. Well, I guess we're just going to have to keep ourselves amused listening to more of Sounds of Summer until we figure out exactly uh, what it is we're uh, going to be treated with uh, with regards to Carl and the Passions, Holland and uh, the live album. Howie, thank you so much for coming back. Love to have you on the show. Love to hear your insights. Uh, 
We've had a great chat today. I'll be back when when the next box comes and we'll we'll do two hours. Can't wait. So, sounds great. Thanks, Howie, so much for being with us. Thank you, Phil. And thanks to everyone out there listening. Come back next time and we'll do it again. <laughs>